If you're new to Calvary, one of the things that you'll find here uh, at Calvary, what we'll do is we'll take a book of the Bible and we will study through the book chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, so we find ourselves in chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. And uh, in, in this part that we are in, we've come to the part that's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, which it goes from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. And Jesus has dealt with the, the practical side on the front end. Today he's going to deal with the eternal. We're going to come to the, the final section of uh, the Sermon on the Mount today. And uh, here, here's what you need to know as we get into this. Jesus is going to say some things today that many people who profess to believe in Jesus will disagree with. He's going to be very, very straightforward, but again, there's going to be some things that Jesus will say that many professing Christians will, will disagree with. So we'll see that as we get into it today. Now, um, as, as we get into this, uh, one of the challenges that we have, this is like one section that as we go through, so I can't elaborate in, in any part too much. We're going to have to keep moving because it all fits together. So it has to, we have to conclude this part today. Um, so there's much more than we, we'd want to say, but we're going to pick it up. And uh, there on your outline, as we, we get into this, I, I need to start with this. There on your outline, uh, you're going to see it says, all Christians believe, and if you've been here for any length of time, I want you to fill this out, uh, that Jesus is God. Everybody fill that out. That's the starting point for what we're going to talk about today. Jesus is God. And the reason that we believe that is because throughout the Bible, it told us that Jesus, this one would come and he would be God. So 800 years before Jesus was born, a verse that you've become very familiar with here at Calvary, it says, for, us, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called the wonderful counselor with your pen in hand, the mighty, what's it say? God. You can say it like you mean it. God. Mighty God. And then the everlasting, what's it say? Father. So, so the Bible teaches from cover to cover that when this one would come, he would be fully man, but he'd also be fully God. He's the eternal Father. Uh, he's the, the mighty God, the, the everlasting, or the eternal Father. This becomes the dividing line for everything that is Christian and everything that is not. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. So go ahead and write this down. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. That's the dividing line. So there you are on Saturday morning and the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your house. You try to hide, but they know you're there. And so they knock on the door. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is not God. They believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel and he came to the earth as Jesus and now he's back to being Michael the archangel. Uh, there, uh, a couple Mormons show up at your house. Mormons believe that Jesus is not God. They believe that if you're a man, you can become a God of your own planet. But Jesus is not God. The Unity School of Christianity believes that Jesus is not God. They hold that Jesus is a man who was reincarnated a number of times, worked out his stuff, ultimately attained perfection, and just ascended. But he is not God. Uh, in Islam, they hold that Jesus is not God. He is a prophet that points people to Allah. The dividing line between everything that is Christian and that which is not Christian is all Christians believe that Jesus is God. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. That's the dividing line. Well, having said that, because Jesus is God, I want you to write this down. All Christians believe that Jesus is the only way. The only way. And everyone else, and you want to write this down, believes that Jesus is not the only way. All Christians believe that Jesus is the only way. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not the only way. 
We pick it up in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up in verses 13 and 14. This is the last section of of, uh, this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says in verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and in my translation it says the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So as Jesus gets into this, he says there are two gates. One gate is very wide, many people enter by it, but the the challenge with that gate is ultimately it leads to destruction. There is another gate, Jesus, and that gate would be Jesus, and he says it's very narrow. And uh, we're going to find out how narrow, because this is a point that Jesus drives home time and time again. So there in your outline, in John 14, he says, and this is the, on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Last Supper, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. It's very, very exclusive. There is no other way from Jesus' perspective, Jesus and Jesus alone. Another way that he says this is there in your outline. He says, Jesus therefore said to them again, truly, truly, this is very emphatic when he says that, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves, robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and anyone who enters through me, he shall be saved. He's very, very specific. I am the door, the only door, and there is no other door. Anybody who enters through another door, a wider gate, that one leads to destruction. So when a professing Christian, a professing believer says, yeah, you know, but, but you know, I, I, I get Jesus died for us, and, you know, but, but uh, I can't just accept the fact that, that you know, he's the only way. You know, I mean, they have their truth, we have our truth. When a Christian says that, what that person is doing is they are no longer worshiping the Jesus who created us. They are now worshiping the Jesus that they create. Because the Jesus that created us says time and time again that he is the only way, the only way. And, and in the Bible, when someone worships the Jesus of the wider gate, the Bible calls that worshiping another Jesus, who would look, smell, taste, feel very much like the real Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It was so bad that Paul the apostle writes to a church uh, called Corinth, and here's what he says. He's very concerned. He says, He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches, and I want you to underline another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit, underline that, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The idea is that some are coming in and they were teaching another Jesus. Now that other Jesus looked, felt, smelt, tasted you know, very much like the original Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so they were in essence beginning to worship the Jesus that they created as opposed to the Jesus that created them. So Jesus says here in Matthew 7, he says that, that wide gate and the reality is that many will enter in by that gate. But Jesus is not a wide gate. He's a very narrow gate. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, and that's the gate. Any other gate, the wider that gate becomes, it just leads to death and destruction, as he says. Years ago, it was explained to me in a way that made sense to me, and uh, it brought me to the place where I had to make a decision. 
Someone said to me, you either have to accept that Jesus is the only way or he is the biggest idiot who ever lived in the history of the world. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. Jesus taught that he was God. He believed that. And Jesus believed that he had to go to the cross as God and bear the punishment for all of us to pay for our sins. And, and, and if Jesus believed that and he went to the cross and he went to that horrific death, but you and I could get there by doing good deeds or following another religion or being sincere in something apart from Jesus, then he'd be an idiot to go through all of that because we could just do this. So Jesus becomes either the only way or the greatest idiot who's ever lived. Does that make sense? You can say that like you mean it. Just humor me. Just, just, just get it out there. So again, if somebody could get there some other way, then, then uh, he'd be an idiot to go through all of that because we could get there some other path. Now, not only is the gate narrow, not only is the gate narrow, but I've put from the King James that this verse, and he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now this is very important. He says that narrow is the gate. The word there, narrow, is stenos in the original language, and that just means narrow or straight. It's, just, it's a very narrow gate, Jesus and Jesus alone. Once you enter that gate, now you're on the way. So the gate is narrow, and he says the way then becomes difficult. And that word difficult, I know some of your Bibles translate it differently, but that's why sometimes it's good to go back to see what the original language says. There on your outline, the word difficult there is the word thalibo in, in Greek. It means to suffer affliction, to be troubled, has reference to sufferings due to the pressure of circumstances or the antagonism of persons. It means straightened, throng, pressed. And I've underlined this part, when used of the present experience of believers, refer almost invariably to that which comes upon them from without, on the outside. Narrow, press, straightened, tribulation, trouble. So here's what this means. It means that when you enter by that narrow gate, what that means is you're going to then be on the path. And you're going to find in your life at times, you're going to face a great deal of difficulty. This difficulty has to do with the way that others respond to you. Not everybody appreciates your newfound love for Jesus. It's going to be very, very different than uh, the, the gospel that, that's it's out in some circles. Now, an, another thing I need to say here, the path can be very difficult at times. God loves to bless his children, but you're going to find in this life, as Jesus promised, in the world you have tribulation. There's going to be some difficulty. Now, that, that's, that's important. So go ahead and write this down. So Jesus says he is the gate, and when you enter the gate, the way at times is going to be difficult. And it's going to be found by few, by few, not, not most. Not everyone likes the narrow gate Jesus. Some who profess to believe in Jesus actually disagree with Jesus on the narrow gate. And, and the difficult way, there are those who teach uh, not the difficult way uh, that the path can be, the way can be, 
But they teach that when you come to Jesus, Jesus then comes alongside of you to help you accomplish your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. And really it becomes a gospel that's all about us. It's not following him on the path, it's getting him to jump on on board with our agenda. Which is why, and many people jump on that, which is why he says few are those who find it. So the gate is the gate Jesus is the gate, the way is the way is difficult, and it's found by a few. Now here's the problem, why this is such a problem. Verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In, in, in the gospels, Jesus refers to believers as sheep. He refers to false prophets, false teachers as wolves but many times wrapped up in sheep's clothing. And, and a false t- a prophet, a prophet in this case, is someone who would claim to speak for God, would be somebody who claims to represent God. One of the things that we'll find is, is that false prophets, false teachers, will have a very popular message. It's not going to be the message of the narrow gate and at times some real difficulty. It's going to be a much wider gate and it's going to be a, a, a message of enhancement, we might say. So he, we have there in your outline, it says false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. So they're, they're uh, false prophets who are dressed up as, as wolves in, in sheep's clothing. So go ahead and write this down. For a while they look like sheep. It's hard to tell. I mean, they're, they're wrapped up in sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing could never come into a church, a false teacher, and say, you know what? I hate Jesus. They would get no following. So they have to come in and they have to look very sheeply, we might say. Very Christian. They have to look very much like a sheep. Uh, We're also going to find, you want to write this down, that false prophets will have a very popular message. It's not going to be a narrow gate. Uh, when they, they talk about you know, difficult is the way, they'll say, no, 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 Jesus comes alongside of you to enhance and help you accomplish and rebuild and, and all these things, which he loves to do. But at times, as you follow Jesus, it's going to be a difficult time. And many will follow that, that, that very, very popular teaching. Um, and we would say it's a, it's a gospel of enhancement, but not repentance. And so the gospel that Jesus gives is a gospel where we repent, not where we are enhanced, although he loves to to do those things. So Jesus would say, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul picks up on that, and Jesus will say, beware, but Paul will say it like this, there in your outline with your pen in hand. Paul says, therefore take heed to yourselves. be, Be very careful with this. To, to take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. Central to everything that you and I believe is that God had to come to the earth as a man. He had to shed his blood. He had to purchase it by going to the cross on our behalf. You can't take that out and, and still have the gospel, still be, still be Christian. And then Paul says, for I know this, after my departure, savage wolves, and underline that, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking, and I've underlined perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. I've underlined pretty much all of that last, last part there. So there's a few things that we see. These false prophets, these who, who Paul would call these ravenous wolves, 
uh, write this down, they're going to rise up from inside the church. Inside the church. They're not going to come from the outside, they're going to come from the inside. And people will say about them, you know, they, they look so nice, they, they sound so nice, they're so gifted, they're so charming, you know, and everybody wants to hear what they have to say. And uh, sadly, what we're going to find, they come from inside the church, but they're going to be ravenous wolves. One of the things that we're also going to find that they will, through deceit, they distort the truth to fit their agenda. They distort the truth to fit their agenda. I've taken that little passage there. He says, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples. Now, when I see the word perverse, I think they're saying naughty words, but that's not what that word means. The word perverse there in the original language, I put it on your outline, means to distort, to pervert, or to corrupt. Which means the false teachers will come in and they will distort just a little bit, uh, maybe to make it a little bit more appealing, or, but, but it's going to be a distortion of what's actually being said. The, the problem of false teachers is something that the Bible points to in the time period that's called the end times. It, it was a problem then, but throughout the Bible it talks about in the end times, one of the, the, the real problems is going to be false teachers and uh, they're going to use a great deal of deception. So I want to show you just a couple of verses uh, on the screen today. Now as we get into this, there's going to be some clues. Let's see if we can find the clues. So Matthew 24. Now Matthew 24 is one of my favorite chapters because it's all about end times. And it begins with the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples have placed his coming and the end of the age together. So when Jesus comes back again for the church, that's the end of the age. Uh, It doesn't end right there, but it's the beginning of the end of the age. So in Matthew 24, Jesus answers their question, and he begins by saying, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So that's going to be what it's going to be like in the last days. Well, just a few verses later, same chapter, Jesus is going to say, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then a few verses later, same chapter, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Anybody seeing a pattern here? You stand up here and do this. <laughs> All right, next verse. So Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, you could also say last times, last times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. That's going to be the problem in the last days. Next verse. Um, speaking of the time, uh, the Thessalonian church thought that they had missed what's called the rapture of the church. And Paul says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. What Paul says there is in the last days, uh, deceit is going to be a problem, but he says the apostasy comes first. Speaking of the church, it won't be in the last days great revival, it will be great apostasy. And uh, you're going to hear other people say just the opposite of that. Go to the next verse. 
And then in Revelation, in that time period that's commonly referred to as the tribulation, the deception just increases. And it says he performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth. In that time period, the deception just increases. So what's it going to be like in this time from the, from the time that, that uh, the apostles were on the earth to, to this time? Well, the next verse says this, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Now you notice it doesn't say it gets better and better. It's from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Everybody see that? We, we talk a great deal about the end times. And the, the thing about the end times is there are a number of very in-your-face signs. But the one sign that's written throughout as the great sign of the end times is that professing believers will be deceived, deceived. And so we want to be very, very careful about that. So, um, so what we find, if that's the case, one of the things that, that the false teachers would do, go, go ahead and write this down, they will draw disciples to themselves, but not Jesus. It's all about them, their agenda, their cause, pointing to themselves, but you find they're not really pointing people to Jesus. And the sad thing is, in the end, wolves always eat sheep. Write that down. They always eat sheep. Uh, when, when they listen to the message of the false prophet, the false teacher, maybe telling them that it's a wider gate, it's an easier path, and they believe that, they find themselves unknowingly believing in another Jesus who's just not the Jesus of the Bible, following another gospel, and it doesn't take them to the, to the place that they'd always hoped. Wolves in sheep's clothing have been part of... Uh, the church's experience from the very beginning. Everybody has heard of the disciple known as Judas. Judas was a disciple. He was one of the 12. He was part of the traveling team. So when Jesus would say, go out and preach, Judas went out and preached. And there was a great deal of response apparently. When Jesus said, go out and heal, I give you the authority to heal and cast out demons and all that, Judas went out. And as he did, apparently those things took place. Nobody suspected Judas. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you know, I'm the one who chose you and yet one of you is a devil. And they all start looking around. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? But nobody suspected Judas. When Jesus says to Judas, he says, what you do, do quickly, Judas stands up and he starts heading out the door. It says the other disciples thought that Judas was just going out to give something to the poor. Nobody suspected Judas. But Judas was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was never a believer. Does that make sense? So in the end, he was a wolf. Again, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So in verse 16, as we go on, he says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. This has always been very interesting to me. The, the, the fruit is the outcome of somebody's life. It's the outcome of what they are teaching. And uh, what we find is that the false prophets will have a, a false teaching but they're also going to have a false lifestyle. We have seen in the news 
over the course of the last couple of years that there have been some very prominent those who claim to represent the Lord. And yet what we find is when it all comes out, it was not an isolated incident. It was a lifestyle that was going on for some time of great immorality. That would be a wolf. That, that would be a false teacher, a false prophet. Because the, the sin is great and there's no repentance and one day it comes out. And again, it's not an isolated incident. It's a lifestyle. So when, when you, you look at somebody who's teaching, somebody who is, who is claiming to represent the Lord, and you have to look at their life, you have to look at their teaching, and you have to ask yourself, is their teaching in keeping with the Jesus who said it's a narrow gate, it's, it's, and, and times there's going to be difficulty, or are they teaching it's a wider gate and, it, and it's all about enhancement and blessing and all that, which Jesus loves to do. So you have to look at that. Is it in keeping with the narrow way? The thing about fruit that always gets me is, you know, you, you, plant, you plant a fruit tree, you can't tell next week uh, what the fruit is because it takes a while for fruit to manifest. Do you agree with that? And sometimes what we see is, you know, fruit is seasonal. And sometimes it, it's latent. You can't, you can't really see it. And then one day it all comes out. And uh, then you see what the fruit truly is. I wish it, the fruit was very evident on the front end, but, but many times it takes a while before that fruit comes out. Well, so you examine the fruit as best that you can. It's okay to, to be a fruit inspector. Verse 21, he says, now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in, in heaven will enter. I'll come back to that. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now there's a couple of things in this. Um, In verse 22, he will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And, and what we find, and I want you to write this down, they immediately start talking about what we did, not what he did. And so some suggest there that part of the problem is they look to themselves what they did, but miss what it is that he did. Now in, in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. The next verse, they all start saying, Lord, didn't we do, do, do? So apparently doing the will of his Father in heaven has nothing to do with doing, doing, doing. I would suggest to you that doing the will of his Father in heaven is believing in the narrow gate Jesus and embracing the path that is sometimes difficult. And sadly, few enter in. So it could be that what they did, because this is where the section begins, they believed in a much wider gate, Jesus. You know, Jesus is good, you know, but you know, I don't believe he's really just the, the only way, that the gate's a little bit wider, uh, the way is supposed to be easy. And, and because of that, uh, it was actually another 
Jesus that they worshipped and embraced, but it just wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. So when they stand before on that day the Jesus of the Bible and they say, Lord, Lord, he says, I don't know you. You see, they, they followed another Jesus. It just wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. Does that make sense? So what do we do? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us there. He, he, he goes on. He says, so here, here's what we do. Verse 24. Hopefully, in your translation, the word therefore is, is right there, the first word of uh, verse 24. It is in my translation. If it's not, hopefully it's, it's there soon. Jesus says, therefore, which means based upon what I've just told you, therefore, do this. So here's what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, narrow gate, difficult way, few find. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. So Jesus says there's two foundations. There's two foundations. And he says the one man hears his word and acts on them. If you were to look that word up in the original language, you can make the case where he's building upon the word is the idea. The one who goes to his word uh, is the one who, when the storm comes, uh, go ahead and, and write this down. So apparently when Jesus says, therefore, uh, what he's saying here is to safeguard against hearing, I never knew you, I build my life on what he said, on what he said. And so here's what Jesus said. There is a narrow gate. There is one way. He is the only way. And a wider gate, leaving something else, only leads to death and destruction. And Jesus says, he who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. I said to you earlier that Jesus is going to say some things that many professing Christians disagree with. The truth is Jesus is the only way. To believe in a wider gate is not to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, it's to believe in another Jesus. The problem with that Jesus, he can't save you. Which is why they stand before Jesus and he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. So another thing that I get from this, how do you know what, what uh, foundation you're building upon? Um, in part, uh, Jesus is talking about when they stand before him and, and there's that judgment, but then there's also just the storms of life. So go ahead and write this down. My foundation will be revealed at the ultimate judgment. It's going to become evident. For some, Jesus is going to say, I knew you, and for some, some I don't. And it's also revealed when I'm going through the storm. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, you're going to come on that path, and you're going to come to that place that's difficult. It's, it's very difficult. How you respond in that difficult time reveals which Jesus you're embracing. 
if it's the narrow gate Jesus and you know on the front end that there's going to be difficulty, you cling to Jesus. If it's the wider gate Jesus, which is easy and difficulty comes, we tend to run from that Jesus or run from, from Jesus. So uh, there on your outline, Jesus would say it another way. He says, the one in whom the seed was sown in rocky places, this is the man who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises, and please underline this, because of the word, immediately he falls away. When we talk about the word, the word says that Jesus is a very narrow gate. Jesus and Jesus alone. The path sometimes is difficult. And uh, some, when life becomes difficult, what's revealed is they were only temporary. They, they never really were converted because they didn't really embrace the Jesus of the narrow gate. Here at Calvary, you're, you're, going, to, um, you're going to look around the landscape of the church. You're going to see a number of people who can at times draw a great following. They're going to talk about a wider gate. You know, we're all God's children. We're all coming in. Everybody goes to heaven kind of thing. Uh, you don't have to just follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus would say that that is a wide gate and that is a false teacher, a false prophet. You don't want to listen to that. Here at Calvary, my hope, my prayer for you is that each and every one of us comes to the place where we recognize that Jesus isn't um, a way. He is the only way the way, the truth, and the life. Because if you believe something different, a wider gate, then you have embraced what we saw is another Jesus. The problem with that Jesus is on that day, that Jesus cannot save you. So you need the Jesus who is the only way. Does that make sense? We live in a day where there are professing believers who no longer believe you when you say that it's a narrow gate. And professing believers at times find themselves embracing a much wider gate. But that's just not the Jesus of the Bible. It's another Jesus. My prayer is that in this church that each and every person would come to the place where they say, I'm with the Jesus of the Bible, the narrow gate Jesus, the only way. So if, if that's you today, if that's you today, and you, and you were to honestly say, you know, I've really been following a much wider gate Jesus. And today I realize that that's another Jesus and it leads to another path. Then, then very simply, in your own way or with me, just turn to the Jesus and say, Jesus, the one, the Jesus of the Bible, I want you. I want to believe you. The Jesus who is the only way. And as I enter this gate and I then begin on the path, I know there's going to be some times that there's going to be difficulty. The world, Satan, and everybody doesn't always appreciate the fact that, that we want to follow you. But we don't want to miss you. 
and get there and find that we worship the wrong Jesus. So we turn to you and say, Jesus, forgive me. Take me. I'm following you. Lead me. Come what may, I want to follow you in the good times and the bad times. And when you embrace that Jesus, that Jesus says, I've been standing at the door and knocking. And as you open your life, your heart to me, says, I promise you, I will come in. But I'm not that other Jesus. I'm not the wide gate Jesus. So today, if you've embraced the Jesus of the Bible, the narrow gate, and you've invited him in, he promises to come in and to never leave. And you're going to know that you've actually embraced that Jesus because it's when you embrace that Jesus, his spirit steps inside and things begin to change. Affections, desires, and, and hungers begin to change. Father, for those who've invited the Jesus of the Bible inside today and your spirit entering in also, keep us, grow us, take us on the path that you have for us. Help us to represent you well in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.